The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. The boys are back in town. Welcome back to the Rebel Alliance Media Podcast. As always, you're got, a worship guy. You got to sing that. I was I was rapping there. Oh, okay. Sorry, that was my bad. I was sorry, dropping. I, I interrupted you. Keep going. I was dropping bars for people. <laughs> that's how they say it. You know, that's how it is. Like, I learned that from Kemp England. It was fire and lit that I was dropping those bars. No, I have no idea what I just said there. I may have just offended half our listeners. All right. Well, the boys are back in town. Back in town. And Poot- back in Garage Mahal. Pooty Peanate Unsung Hero. We just, I'm just going to start referring to him as just Unsung. Unsung? Yeah, like nothing. I just think it's a funny Not hero? <laughs> well, he's my hero, but... Well, like... No, he's not my hero. He's my inspiration. <laughs> nice. Nice. Love anyway, it. We're here, as always. Yes. Happy to be here. Today, we're wrapping up the Truth Apocalypse. It's been a while. It's we were just looking at it, and uh, yeah, it's basically been 2018. We've been doing the Truth Apocalypse, and and part of it's like I feel like we could just go on like this forever. I think uh, well, we'll talk about this when we get into it, but I just feel like this is kind of informed. Um, I think how we're looking at doing podcast episodes from now on. And I mean, it's changed my thinking on a number of things. So it's been a good experience for us. I don't know about our listeners, but I hope they liked it as <laughs> they, much as I did. The listenership is going up. I yeah. not that we ever like to talk or brag or anything, but it is going up through this process. So we hope you guys stick with us. we got a lot planned coming forward. Yeah. And we're, we're very happy to have been able to do this series, uh, but we're going to wrap it up today, but let's, let's skip that for now. Um, we got some rebel news. This is this is a weird one for you that I have today. I, it's almost uncomfortable, but at the same time, we don't want to shy away from things that happen. Yeah. Um, with news, it happened a couple of weeks ago, but we're, we're finally getting a chance to talk about it now. Um, mega church pastor, I don't know how else to refer to him, Bill Hybels. Even if you're not a Christian, you probably have heard his name from self-help seminars and leadership seminars. He's well yeah, known. The, the leadership summit is like his big thing, right? Yeah, that's it's huge. It, yeah, we, it is. I've been to it in London. You know yep, what I mean? Like where, where are things massive? Bill Hybels has resigned amid speculation. Now, we, we, we do always want to say... You, you are still proven, you're still innocent until proven guilty in law and in practicality, just not in the public sphere anymore. But he has been, uh, he's resigned amid sexual misconduct allegations. Yeah. And so he has stepped down from his post at Willow Creek. Um, what, what's your initial thought on that? What uh, it's hard. Um, there's, I mean, a couple of things. I, I think... We're living in a really dangerous time, you know, right now where um, allegations are flying out every day, um, whether it's to Christian leaders, celebrities, um, you know, beloved childhood stars like Bill Cosby and and all this kind of stuff. Guilty Bill Cosby. Guilty Bill Cosby. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I wasn't uh, meaning to imply that it's only been allegations. Um, But, you know, so there's it seems like no one's unaffected. And so part of me is saddened by that, right? That, uh, but I mean, we've always known this is in the church. Part of me wishes that, you know, amidst all of the scathing allegations going out to the world that the church was shining through as the beacon of hope. Um, But I mean, uh, it's unfortunate that that's not the case. Um, it also just reflects the reality that, you know, um, churches are still full of sinners. Um, and that's, but that's not to let us off the hook. We ought to be um, above reproach. So it's now, 
I, and I say all that thinking, so you just said, you know, how'd you feel? I can't remember how you asked me that, but like, that's what, that's my gut reaction to this. Now, I don't know if Bill Hybels is innocent or guilty, right? It's probably, um, it's important for us to note that he's denying everything right now. And so we do still believe in innocent until proven guilty. And, and the Bible would say that um, we we can't allow um, the allegations to form a guilt of, uh, the form the guilt of somebody. Um, but we'll see. So I guess currently he's stepped down from Willow Creek amidst the investigation. Um, they, they say that they're going to come to some sort of resolution in the next month or so. Um, I think they're investigating this internally. I don't know if it's, I don't know if there's a police investigation or if the elders are simply doing their own investigation for now. Um, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I haven't heard any of that. The allegations include any sort of rape or anything like that. It seems like it's just, I, I don't, I shouldn't even say just. But I, what I've heard is that it's sexual misconduct and compromising situations and things like that. So a couple things. If he's guilty, then um, part of me wants to kind of talk about why theology matters. Um, I, I, I couldn't help but notice as I was going through some of the news reports that one of the, the first people that uh, accused him of anything was um, their first preaching female pastor. You know, and, and so, you know, theology matters. And I, I don't mean to say that everybody who's not complementarian is going to commit sexual atrocities. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is that theology does matter. And when you compromise uh, with the word of God in one area, it becomes a lot easier to compromise with the word of God in another area. And so if he's guilty, then then that that's something that I would want to mm-hmm. think about and talk about. Um, and the other thing is just boundaries as a pastor. Like, so whether this is true or not, and I would say, especially if he's innocent here, I mean, he's, he had to step down like eight, eight or nine months before he planned on retiring because this was such a distraction to the church and the ministry. So even if he's completely innocent in all this, and, and the reality is, you know, I've counseled enough people to know that generally the, the truth is somewhere in between. Um, and so whether or not this is anything that would um, be accurately described as sexual misconduct is is secondary to like was he just inappropriate right like did he did he say some things did he you know um part of me is like don't put yourself in those kinds of compromised situations like i i'm a pastor and and i know how hard this is but i make sure like i do not meet with any females one-on-one like I, I just don't if they're counseling uh if i'm to counsel an individual then they come in when my church administrator is there windows are in plain sight you know they're in my office but um we're not in the church building alone together ever um if it's a, a day when my um my church administrator is out then i'm meeting them in a public place um, yeah, you, you have to set boundaries like that. And, uh, and I, I love my wife and I can't ever imagine doing anything to, um, compromise our relationship, but I also know I'm a sinner and I know that I need accountability, whether it's against false accusations or against the sin in my own heart. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where I would, I wanted to go with this too, because again, we, we, you said it, we don't know if he's innocent or guilty. Yeah, we don't, we don't know at this point he's denied it and but other people have said there's seven people who said this happened. So where do you believe? So I think the, the, impro- the appropriate thing is as a pastor and an, as an elder, even as a leader in the church, you're, a, you're called to be above reproach. Yep. Don't put yourself in a situation where there can even be this allegation. Right. Because one thing scripture tells us, and this is something that could be happening in this situation, is that people will make false accusations about us. Yeah. They, they will get upset with yep. things we do how we live our lives, how our, how our worldview imposes on them and they will attack us. And if they can't attack us by what we say, they'll find, they'll try to do it in a moral way. Yeah. And so that, I mean, Jesus says specifically like blessed are you, he doesn't even just say it's going to happen. He says, blessed are you when people utter all kinds of evil against you. So even if, so again, we're not making any judgment on whether or not any of this stuff is true, but if it's untrue, then Jesus calls Bill Hybel blessed in this situation because people are speaking all kinds of evil against you. The problem here is that because of his lack of accountability in terms of boundaries, and and I'm not just speculating on this, as I've read it, some of his comments have been that he put himself in unwise situations. So part of my thing here is that you could have cleared your name had you taken the proper precautions because a false allegation 
is still slanderous. It's still going to hurt. But like I said, Jesus calls you blessed because you're enduring it for his namesake. But if they're false allegations, then you ought to have the boundaries in place that um, they'll be proven false. Exactly, right? Yeah. Be, be as innocent as dove as wife as serpents, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, and so the other thing that I would say is um, the it's I think it's appropriate that this is the rebel news item on the day that we're going to kind of close off the truth apocalypse because, um, you know, the church is not immune to the erosion that we're seeing in the culture right now. So again, this, this me too movement, right? This, um, the, the, I think we called it the, what do we call it when we went the, um, the sec- sexual assault apocalypse. I can't remember what we called it, but you called it something. Um, it was probably yeah. very clever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like it was like, yeah. But, um, you know, everything is going on in culture right now. Um, it, it's making its way into the church, right? Which is exactly what we've been talking about throughout the tr- truth apocalypse is that the church is meant to be distinct from the world. It's, it's meant to be a, you know, we are meant to be a kingdom of priests and not perfect by any means, full of sin, absolutely, but transparently full of sin, right? Confessing our sins, not trying to hide our sins in the darkness of a closet or or any of that kind of stuff, but recognizing that we are still works in progress. And yet what we're seeing is that there are, are Christians and Christian leaders, whether Bill Hybels is innocent or not, there's, there's plenty of other names we can talk about. He's just kind of the high profile one right now and plenty who might be innocent and plenty who, who have definitely been guilty. And the idea here is that we're seeing the church do the same thing that's going on in the culture. And, and that's kind of been um, what we've seen in, in every pattern is that how can we expect um, how can we expect anything but sexual misconduct in the culture when we're when it's happening in our own churches? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think it's telling that we're that that's our rebel news item today um, as we wrap up the truth apocalypse. Yeah, let's take a break because I can already tell you're super fired up and I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. love this. Yeah, yeah. So let's take a break really quickly so when we can come back and we can get right into this. Okay, sounds good. Coming May 18 and 19, Friday and Saturday, the 2018 Corporus Conference with guest speaker Jared C. Wilson. This year's theme is the Gospel-Driven Church. Just $40 for all four sessions, or if you're a student, it's half price. The conference location is West London Alliance Church in London, Ontario. Check out all the details and register at corporus.ca. That's C-O-R-P-O-R-I-S, corporus.ca. The Rebel Alliance podcast is about discipleship, bringing the gospel message about how to interact in a biblical way with your family, friends, coworkers, and your culture. Would you like to be a part of this? Rebel Alliance Media is looking for financial sponsors. A one-time gift, a monthly donation, whatever you like. Contact the Rebels at info at rebelalliancemedia.com. That's info at rebelalliancemedia.com. All right, we're back, and uh, and we're just going to kind of summarize some of the things that we've learned through the Truth Apocalypse. And like I said, this is this is eaten up like three months of our podcasting life here, um, which has been good. Um, but uh, we've had a lot of guests, and we've talked about a lot of topics. And uh, and I would just say, I, I mean, I, I feel like you get a lot more feedback, and you kind of monitor some of the questions and some of the feedback that we get. Like, um, what what's been the take on the Truth Apocalypse? You universally like. To be right up front, it's been it's been pretty positive. I most of the feedback I get is because part of it is that I, I do engage with people about what what can we do to improve and and things like that. And a lot of uh, my friends that listen very much disagree with a lot of what we say. So <laughs> it's been interesting. It's been interesting as we've worked through a lot of these things, particularly myth of neutrality, particularly when we when we are directly talking about a truth that's happening in culture how they respond to what we've said because the the truth is and I this I I don't want this to sound braggadocious but a lot of what has been said is there there really has been no argument about our content it's more about 
like how almost, it makes them feel how, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I just I was trying to think of a nice way to say it. But <laughs> oh, basically, sorry, I just said it. They just don't like it. Yeah. And so a lot of the pushback I've gotten or feedback we've gotten that has been positive not, and negative. Yeah, yeah positive yeah. and negative has been about the way they just. Well, I I agree with you, but I'm just not really sure. I like the way you said it or the way it was right. said. Ba- the Tim Bailey episode that was almost. It was very interesting because <laughs> I've never re-listened to it probably about four or five times. And the more I listen to it, the more my heart sings with what he's saying. Yeah. Yet at the very first time, and I was pretty open about it, the very yeah. first time I was like, I don't know if I, if I like, if I even, yeah, cause you it. missed that interview. So you, you listened to my interview with him <laughs> afterwards and I remember you being like, uh, what? <laughs> yeah. It's it, the, the funny thing about the truth podcast was very, very interesting for me too, because the interviews have taken place when I'm at work. Yeah, a lot so, of the interviews, just for our listeners, uh, and we've had a few people who are like, where's Pootie Tang? Why isn't he talking? <laughs> um, a lot of our guests, we're, we're trying to work around their schedule, so a lot of it had to do with my the flexibility of my schedule and, and the non not flexible <laughs> schedule that you have. So, But it's been interesting because it's been great for me to be to like, almost listen like a spec like right. other than the beginning, but like listen how our listeners listen. Yeah. So it's been very enlightening to me to be like, you know, there's, there's just so much positive truth that some of these guys like grant grant and erica just yeah they just crushed it with yeah, the, I with agree. the awakening reformation podcast on here um chocolate Knox, that that episode literally i i was taking notes yeah listening about like things i can do in my life as like not to just summarize a whole bunch because i don't want to just sit here and summarize but yep. things that i'm doing in my life that are just basically putting a divide between uh, uh, like one race and another race just because naturally I'm trying to think of ways to be ex- like diverse right it's just like just don't even think about it just be a nice person you know right. what I mean like just be inclusive and stop disagreeing well, about it's interesting right? that the, the conversation with Chocolate Knox um, like it happened several weeks prior to like the MLK 50 conference and all of that stuff all the back and forth between Douglas Doug Wilson and, and Tabidi and, and all that stuff so it kind of like set my my heart, I think, a tune. Like put like that conversation, I think, was really good, and it kind of put me in the proper perspective for all that stuff coming in. Mm. Um, and similarly, I've just had you know in my own life uh, just some uh, the ability to have some conversations, some tough conversations with some um, uh, friends in my life who um, I, you know I don't know how to label them other than just kind of say like m- maybe more liberal Christians or more nominal Christians. Um, who have really been sucked into the culture's view on sex, human sexuality and not taking a biblical approach to it. And that Tim Bailey episode like totally equipped me to have those conversations. And and to be completely honest, like just for, for all of our listeners, Chris and I, like one of our one of our big things holding each other accountable and also making fun of each other now has been just like, man, you're being soft, right? Like it really did challenge us to confront kind of the softness in each one, each of our hearts to be like, man, there are some ways that I'm not being a man. There, there are some ways in which I'm not being faithful to the sex God created me because I'm not being true to the, the form of masculinity that God has instilled in men. I feel like there's a whole bunch of people who are listening to that right there being like, hey, man, yeah. like, wait, wait. Yeah. <laughs> add yeah, our add wives. Yeah, our wives. <laughs> um, but like, and and all kinds of stuff. Um, I So, and, and you're right. I don't want to just summarize all of these things, but I'll just, you know, so we had the Tim Bailey episode. He came on and talked to us about um, homosexuality and sexual orientation and the grace of shame. Uh, Chocolate Knox came in and talked to us about racism and privilege. Um, we had uh, Jay Brunsma, he came in and talked to us about topical preaching. And, and that's, again, topical preaching versus expositional preaching. We had lots of feedback on that from people who um, who go to churches that just preach topically. And it kind of, um, I talked to one guy who um, sent the podcast to his pastor just to kind of say, hey, have you ever thought about preaching? I never got any feedback on how that went. So <laughs> hopefully it went well. Um, but uh, but yeah, so there, there have just been so many, I think, very relevant topics that have been hit during this series and a lot of good guests who have come in to help us think, think through them. Yeah. And the, the speaking about the expositional preaching one is that that, that topic kind of, we just, we just kind of thought of it as we were going to be like, that wasn't in our original plan to do. Yeah. And we did it. And it was, what's interesting. You just see God's hand on a lot of these things. Sometimes that episode, you would, it's, it was unbelievable. The amount of people who 
came, like sent messages via Facebook or like direct message to my, to my cell phone or whatever. And just was like, and just with comments, like that was my story too. Jay's right. story is my story. That's yeah. exactly what I, what I went through. I just didn't know how to put it into words. What's changed since I've basically discovered expositional preaching, reform theology, all these things where it's like, Again, we look at the way the lie that's in the church is that if we just if we're just trying to be relevant to yep. the culture, if we just cater to their needs, if we just well, put on good exactly. programs, then they'll come in and they'll get connected to God. And and I think what we learned through that, through a lot of the feedback that we got from listeners who, like you said, were saying, "Oh, that's my story too," is is that they got into church and then they found nothing there until they found a church that was preaching expositionally and giving them hard truths. And I, I know, trust me, pastors, if there are any pastors who are listening, I know the temptation to tickle the ears of my congregation. I know that. I know I will be far more popular in my community if I preach things that people want to hear. Um, I, I know the people who are walking out of there Sunday in and Sunday out upset with me for some of the things that I said when I br- begin to smash their idols and, uh, and I get those emails and I have those conversations. It's not easy, but the word of God is sharp. And, and one of the things I, I can't even remember where I heard this, but I heard somebody talking about this, um, you know, that, that phrase that the word of God is a two edged sword and, and they described it as like, think of, think of, um, holding like a two edged sword that doesn't have a handle on it, right? Like it cuts both the wielder and the one being cut by it. And so you have to know that during the truth apocalypse here, as we've been kind of uncovering these things, we're getting cut too, <laughs> because we're we're discovering the sin in our own lives and and some of the ways that we've missed a beat. Um, I uh, I know that um, uh, my wife was very very grateful for the episode with uh, where Erica c- came on and she was just talking about like one of the phrases that we still laugh about is when she said, you know, I'm not discipling you unless you folded my husband's underwear, which I thought was hilarious. But just um, and and that really challenged us to kind of open up our home a lot more for just kind of messy discipleship, messy um, mentoring and, and that kind of stuff. So I don't know. It, it's been a good ride. Yeah, it, it definitely has been. It's actually now I'm thinking we should just continue because I'm like, think yeah. of all these other things we could talk about, but <laughs> we'll, we'll get there eventually. Just won't call it the truth apocalypse. Um, the thing, the thing that I think has stuck with me the most that I, we, we even kind of mentioned it in one of the episodes, but I, I, I feel like we could have talked about it a lot more is the fact that, um, it's the church's fault Yeah, that we, like because we we kind of talk about that a little bit all the way through all the yeah. episodes, but I think if to give you a behind the closed door, which is really what we're trying to do with this episode, really just give you an idea of where our heads are at when we're going through this is that was kind of what we kept talking about as we were like, what are we going to talk about this week? Because I just looked at what we originally planned and we did almost none of those episodes. We did <laughs> all these other ones that kind of fed into each because, other. Well, and partially because of who the guests were. And and honestly, we were surprised with a lot of the conversations that we were having because it all came back to every time we asked somebody, well, you know, how does this work itself out practically? It always came back to the church has to repent. Yeah. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. That, that's good practical advice, I guess. Yeah. Um, but that was it, right? Is that the church has, the church has failed to lead the culture. Yeah, and We've been taking our cues from the culture. Exactly. And it's funny because the church I go to, um, <laughs> oh boy. our pastor is going through Acts at this moment in yeah. time. If you, if you don't know, that's Nate. <laughs> We're going through Acts. But what's the big thing? What's the reoccurring message that Peter in the, in the, in the chapters of acts that we've been so far, the reoccurring message that Peter tells people to do is repent, repent and turn and turn to the gospel. Yeah. Repent, repent, yep. repent, repent. It's everywhere. Everything that happens is repent. Yep. And that's funny that when we were going through without planting those seeds to, you know, Erica, to Grant, to Jody, to Chaco, to any of them. I just Chaco Chaco Knox. <laughs> Chaco Knox. I, I feel like we're close enough that I can do that, even though I think I've talked to him once. Okay. Anyway, and that was on Twitter, I think. But anyway, this is a side point. Um, the overwhelming thing that everybody kept coming back to was the idea that it starts judgment starts in the house of the Lord. Yeah. Repent once we get this right. Once yeah. the church forget right. culture. Once the church gets this right, then the world will get it right because they take our, their cues from us. Because like or the they Bible should says, be, but because we haven't been faithful. Yeah, absolutely. But we're the light of the world. You yeah. know what I mean? Like the church is the light of the world. And if we're if we're clouded in darkness, how can they? That's how can right. they? Because the yeah. blind can't lead the blind. Right? Yeah. Amen. So, 
Um, and, and one of the ones we haven't talked specifically about this episode because it just came out um, uh, a couple of weeks ago was uh, Jody's episode um, with My Soul Among Lions. I hope My Soul Among Lions, I hope they got lots of fans uh, through that episode. I got uh, a few messages from people who are now My Soul Among Lions fans. So um, that's good. Um, but I was just so convicted by that because I was I realized the one of the reasons the church has been failing is because we're not equipped for battle. And one of the reasons we're not equipped for battle is because our battle songs have been taken out of our songbooks. Mm. And, uh, you know, and you know, it's, it's kind of re-energized me to go through the Psalms and to read the Psalms, not so much just devotionally, like, you know what I mean? Like not just for study and application, but as songs, like as things that I ought to be singing and crying out to God for. And like, there's so much in the Psalms about God destroying his enemies and God like bringing judgment and God, you know, eradicating sin and God vindicating his name. And, and these are all the themes that Jody was saying are no longer in the, in our, the songs of the church. And I'm thinking we're never singing about God's justice. We're never singing about all any of those kinds of things. So is it any wonder that as a, as a church, we're not actually working towards justice in the culture around us. We're not singing about God's justice. So we have such a skewed idea of God's justice that we have no idea how to go about doing it. And, and, and yet we live in a time when all these churches are going on and on about social justice and social justice, which is a good thing. But if we're getting our cues from the world about what social justice is and looks like, it's a huge problem. Yeah, it's exactly right. The... We're very good at highlighting, and I think Jody said this, we're very good at highlighting certain attributes of, of God, God's love, God's mercy, God's basically what he's done for us. But yeah. we we never flip the side of the coin to God, you know, equal equal attributes of God, God's wrath, God's judgment on the nations and, the, and those things, which the Psalms highlight. Right. And it's interesting that we are losing the battle culturally. And we're not in our churches because we're singing about the the fluffy stuff, basically. Yeah. Not that those things are fluffy. That yeah. came out completely wrong. No, no, but it's not equipping us for a holistic view of God. And so that actually transitions into um, the question, the question that, that we're kind of asking, like, what, what did we learn? Like, what are we taking away from here? And so one of the things um, that I think that we've uh, learned from this is that Christ, his lordship, his kingship, his reign is ought to be over every sphere of our lives, right? And so, um, you know, whether, whether we're talking about how we think through the topic of race, um, how we conduct ourselves at work, how, uh, you know, what our roles are as men and women within the family, how to think through the cultural phenomenon of, of uh, homosexuality and transgenderism, you know, um, how to uh, uh, apply God's word to how we sing in church, all of those things, Christ is Lord, right? And so he has something to say about your role. He has something to say about sexuality. He has something to say about um, work and what your uh, uh, vocation and what your uh, time at work should look like. All of these, over all of these spheres, over all of these things, God is sovereign. And we have to look to him, not just as savior, but as Lord over all of those areas. And so we have to know what God says about them all. And, and so I, I guess it all comes back, like surprise, surprise, it all comes back to know your Bible and obey the word of God in every realm. And I think too often we just kind of, we cherry pick what parts of the Bible we want to read. We cherry pick what parts of the Bible we want to preach on. We cherry pick what parts of the Bible we'll listen to and all of those things. And so we are we are using God's word to cater to our needs as opposed to allowing God's word to cut us and to shape us and to mold us and to uh, turn us into the, the people that God wants us to be. Yeah, I think, I think the truth apocalypse really in its essence is, is, is that it's trying to teach us not just specific things, but like principles that you can use to live your life in all facets, work, governance, how you live at home, how you, how you raise your family, how you worship in the church, how you think about everything and how God, how God's law and God's kingship, so to speak, well, kingship literally 
affects those things in your in your life. I think part of part of the reason, and you you said it earlier, know your Bible, right? Theology yeah. matters. Yeah. Part part of where we've lost this is bad theology that we're as a church still waiting for the rescuer to come back and deliver us from all these things he's already delivered us from. And yeah. so once we grasp that idea that you know Jesus is already king, he's reigning right now and we're his soldiers in a world that he told us to go conquer. Well, we do that by bringing basically how do how does the Bible describe conquering? We we assimilate the entire world. We assimilate it all. That's more than conquerors, right? Yeah. And so the idea is that this whole Truth Apocalypse series is really just teaching you, hopefully teaching you, and this is I think a lot of the feedback we got, equipping people to live that out practically. Right. And and I think so. I mean, biblically, where we would get this from is uh, is you know one of our favorite verses. First um, Corinthians 15 and uh, and actually God's favorite Bible verses is, is I like to say because it's the it's the Old Testament verse that's most quoted in the New Testament which is Psalm 1101 uh, which is um, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies your footstool and 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 Paul comes along and quotes it uh, a couple of times the author of Hebrews uh, quotes it and so there's this idea that um, you know the part of the story the part of the grand narrative I know our friends over at the layman's cup just did a uh, um, an episode uh, a few weeks back on the the meta narrative of scripture, and uh, they called it from garden to garden, and uh, and so one of the meta narratives, or sorry, where we are in the meta narrative right now, is actively putting all enemies of Jesus underneath his feet in victory, because according to some uh, uh, or First uh, Corinthians fifteen. Uh, it says he must reign until all his enemies are placed underneath his feet in victory. And so that's the part of the story that we're in, which means that we, as Christians, we're not just living out our Christian lives, waiting for Jesus to come back or sitting there with our ticket to heaven, or even trying to save a few in the midst of, you know, the world going to hell in a handbasket. We are actively trying to put all things under the subjection of Christ. And so that means your workplace. That means your children. That means your um, the your the friends and family members that you have that are enemies of Christ. That means social issues like abortion. That means all of these things. We are putting them under the feet of Jesus in victory, which means we are actively um, working towards their destruction. Yeah, it, exactly. It also it, it means putting your your business under the feet of Christ. It That's means right. Putting Healthcare, education, yeah. our government under the foot all of it, all, all, all of it. it. The, and it's not just like sometimes I think people's temptation is just to make it a personal thing. That's right. And I think what we've heard is that it's not a personal thing. This is an everything. It encompasses it all. Right. So as we're wrapping up the truth apocalypse here, I think um, one of the things that we wanted to touch on um, that I think, you know, as we've been condensing uh, the truth apocalypse into, um, you know, kind of our final thoughts here. Um, one of the ideas that came to our minds was this idea of sphere sovereignty. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, Abraham Kuyper was one of the guys who um, kind of first introduced this idea, um, the idea of God's sovereignty. And he famously said that there is uh, there's not one area, there's not sorry, there's not one molecule in the universe over which God does or Christ does not declare it's mine right and so we the recognition that Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth and uh, and all authority means all it means that everything is his and uh, and like I said where we are in the story is making sure that the that that reality the sovereignty of Christ is lived out in every sphere is realized in every life realized in every sphere and, uh, and so Rush Dooney comes along after Kuiper and picks up this idea, and he writes about it in both Liberty and, and Freedom, um, that's a book, and also um, in uh, This Independent Republic, which I think is just an article or an essay uh, that he wrote. But he talks about sphere sovereignty, and, and basically he talks about that there are, there are several spheres um, that uh, um, uh, kind of... Uh, make up our modern life. So think of think of some of these examples. So there's there's the state, right? You know, like civil authority, government. So there's the state, there's the church, right? This the church is independent from that. There's there's another sphere. There's also family, there's also work. There's um all there's all of these different spheres 
Um, and, uh, and so Rush Dooney comes along and takes those ideas of all these different spheres. And what he says is there's four basic spheres that we can divvy up everything into. So there's, there's and and it within each sphere, we are designed to govern under the Lordship of Christ. Mm. So there's the sphere of self, the sphere of family, the sphere of church and the sphere of state. And so if you go backwards through that, the state is made up of a bunch of churches. Churches are made up of a bunch of families, and families are made up of a bunch of individuals. And so each one encompasses the other, but there's sovereignty within each state. And those states, though they blur the, the lines between those spheres, though they blur sometimes, ought not to swallow one another up. So, and, and I'll get to why this is important for the truth apocalypse in just a minute, but just let me flush out this idea. So Christ is sovereign over the state, right? In fact, in, in Romans 13, he calls civil authorities his deacons, right? The ones who, with the sword, which is his word, uh, uh, reward those who are doing good and, and punish those who are doing evil. So Christ reigns over civil authorities. Psalm 2 says that, uh, uh, be wise, O kings, O rulers of the earth, uh, kiss the son, lest he, uh, his anger be kindled against you, right? And all of those things. I think Psalm 72 says he'll have dominion over it from sea to sea into the ends of the earth and all rulers and all nations will bow down before him. So Christ is sovereign over the state. And, and, and the, within the state, there is set up um, civil magistrates, which in Romans 13 are called the, the deacons, the servants of God. And so the state is still in subjection to Christ. We talked about this in our last episode concerning God's law, that God's law has something to say about civil uh, justice. And, uh, and so they rule under Christ. Now, the church is another sphere. I, again, another sphere in which Christ uh, reigns over. And yet, the state ought not to have anything to say about how the church conducts itself unless it bleeds into its realm. And its realm would be um, uh, essentially uh, public law, right? Public order. And so within the state, God has, again, set up authority that there is a shepherd, there is a pastor, and there are elders who shepherd the people. And, and within that sphere, there's function and God's law, God's word has something to say about how we function as a church. It tells us how we should be governed, that we ought to be governed by a plurality of men called elders, right? So Christ has something to say and he is the head and, and it goes down from there. Then within the family, again, God has ordained that the family looks like a husband and a wife, a man and a woman brought together to have kids, be fruitful, multiply. And again, there's an order there. Honor your father and mother in the uh, in the Lord, for this is good. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So there's all these rules in Christ's authority for families. And then, of course, there's self-governance. There's the, this idea that you are responsible for your own moral actions, that you um, conduct yourself as someone who is subject to God. And so all of these different spheres, what we're saying is that in each one of these spheres, God is sovereign. God rules. Christ has something to say about how you conduct yourself there. And if we think about all of these different spheres and we try to govern ourselves under the lordship of Christ and try to govern our families under the lordship of Christ and try to um, uh, make sure that our churches are governed under the lordship of Christ and then work towards um, a, a country and a nation, a civil uh, authority that is subject to the word, uh, the uh, lordship of Christ, then all of these spheres are functioning the way God intended these spheres to, to function. They all come under the subjection of the sovereignty of God. They don't, they bleed into one another a little, but they don't swallow one another up. And again, so this is, you know, the, it talks about how, um, you know, uh, families ought to be, um, you know, parents as first educators and all that kind of stuff. Like the the idea that parents know better than the state what is required for their kids. The the family knows even better than the church um, what is required for their own family. And and the family or the church educates the um, family in the ways of God. And families educate the individuals within that family. And and so you can see how all of these pieces work together. And so really what the whole truth apocalypse is saying mm -hmm. is that if every sphere that we find ourselves is ruled under the word and the lordship of Christ, then everything's placed in its proper order. And that's the way that we see the culture around us change is through 
the lordship of Christ being realized in each one of these spheres. Yeah, amen. I love the way you broke that down because I think people have, there's a temptation to want to put the church above all of those right. things. And I think history has shown us that that doesn't work. Yeah. And then the opposite doesn't work. If you put the state above the church, which in a lot of places in the world and maybe even here, yep. that's how it is. Yep. And it doesn't work when it's ordered how God designed it. I, it works perfectly. Yeah. And well, so, and, and even you look at like individuals, right? So if an individual is placed above the specific needs of, of the family or the church or the state, you know, you see that right now with, with some of the, uh, the weaponization of victimhood, right? And, and so how visible minorities who are making the most amount of noise are given the most attention in terms of what they're given by society and by the state. And so, it, again, if any one of these things is able to be elevated above one another or any one of them becomes the sovereign over the other, right? The moment that Justin Trudeau starts to tell me how I ought to raise my kids— we have a sphere sovereignty issue. Trudeau is not sovereign over how I parent my kids. Christ is. Trudeau is not, well, he's also not sovereign over the state either. <laughs> Under Christ, he is delegated authority. And that's the idea is that we are delegated authority within each one of these realms, but all subject to the lordship of Christ. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we just thought that was one of the practical implications kind of coming out of the truth apocalypse. And so, you know, whether you are a pastor and you've been delegated authority by Christ on how to rule your church, that looks like preaching expositionally, that looks like, um, allowing yourself to be accountable to, um, male elders within your church. That means um, making sure that the music that's being sung on Sunday morning uh, is reflecting all of the attributes of God and the Psalter and all those kinds of things. Um, you know, that also means that if you are, um, however you are conducting and, and rubbing up against the, um, you know, the, the sphere of, of kind of state and public, um, that means that, again, you are, how is Christ calling you to conduct yourself at work? How is Christ calling you to conduct yourself in the conversations, recognizing that there is no neutrality? You know, all of these things kind of fall under how does Christ's lordship affect it, uh, your life in each specific role that you have? So our listeners are maybe teachers, maybe lawyers, maybe factory workers, you know, what, whatever they are. The Lordship of Christ has something to do about, uh, has something to say about how you conduct yourself in each one of those realms. You know, he has something to say about how you spend your drive into work each day. He has something to say about how you spend family time around the dinner table. All of those things. Exactly. It's what it's 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 great to think of it that way because um, we 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 often think that a lot of the decisions we make, the things we do, like what we do on our drive into work, are inconsequential. They don't matter to the kingdom. They don't matter to anything like that. But I think. What you're saying, and I think what the truth apocalypse is saying, is that all of that time, all of everything is ordained by God for a purpose. Right. That purpose is to make you more like Christ, but it's also to expand his kingdom like he's designed. So using that time fruitfully is wise and good. And God's designed that time for you for a purpose. So, yeah. So you actually had an opportunity to preach at a, uh, a friend's church of ours a couple of weeks ago. And, and you had a point here that I want to pull out. So you just touched on it there. So, yeah. yeah. So hopefully you remember all your sermon points. No, no. But um, what you said there is that. So when we're talking about the lordship of Christ over every facet of your life and, and how it matters, how you, you know, that the law of God has something to say about how you conduct yourself in, in each area in which God has given to you. Also remember, so within that, also remember that God is sovereign, not only how you conduct yourself there, but also where you are in the first place. And so exactly. we have people who are listening to us who life maybe isn't going the way that they thought. Maybe they're not in it. They, they're in a job that seems inconsequential. They're, they're in relationships that are hard. They're, they're, their kids have strayed. Um, you know, they have difficult neighbors. They're, they're part of a, a, a crumbling church. You know, whatever the case may be, talk a little bit about what you're saying in your sermon about God's sovereignty over that. Yeah, I basically just said um, it was an application point, but basically that you're exactly where God has ordained you to be. So the idea is that the job you work, the people you work with, the family that you've been given, um, all the good things in your life, all the bad things in your life 
are all ordained by God for a purpose for you. Now, what that purpose is, I'm not God. I can't tell you. And I don't think it's our job to be thinking ex- <laughs> existentially all the time. What is the purpose and what is the meaning for all these things? The, the meaning is ultimately to conform you to the image of your of his son, however that looks like in your life. Right. Which means if we play that out practically, that it doesn't matter if it's a diagnosis of a, some sort of disease or if it's the celebra- celebration of overcoming something, God has ordained that for you. Yeah. You aren't in the job. You aren't in whatever situation you are in life because of bad choices or good choices. You, you are to a certain degree, but you're exactly where God has planned you to be at this time in your life. Maybe that means that next month he's going to give you a pink slip and you'll be doing something else for the kingdom. But it's, it's right. only, when, only when you get that idea that you're where you, want, where you are in your life is based on where God wants you to be. Can you trust that God is in control because he's not surprised by where you are. Um, you've, you've said it many times in your sermons as well. Only a God who isn't shocked by all the things that yeah. come our way can promise that he can work these things out for our good. Yeah. And, and I think, um, I actually, I, uh, the same week you preached that I, I had a similar application point, but, um, it, it's just funny how, you know, so if we're talking about how, um, you know, the, the purpose of our lives, so the purpose of our lives, we've been talking about how it's, it's to bring all enemies of Christ under sub, uh, subjection to him. Another way you can simply say that is spreading the gospel, right? The, the purpose, I, I think, you know, like you said, we're, we're going through the book of Acts right now as a church. And, uh, and one of the things over and over again that I'm seeing in the book of Acts is that the, the purpose of your life is to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what putting all enemies under subjection to Jesus looks like because the 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 more the gospel spreads, the more the darkness is pushed back. Mm. The more Christians um, there are within a society, the more Christians there are within a family, the, the culture of that family, the culture of that society begins to change because the people within it have changed. And so if the purpose of your life is to spread the gospel, then where God has you and every every single thing that happens, you know, by the by the sovereign design of God is designed to that end. And here's the thing. So whatever our listeners wherever our listeners are in their lives, you know, we can have competing purposes for our lives, right? You you the purpose of your life might practically, you might not say this. You might not say it out loud. But the purpose of your life might be to, you know, raise successful children. The purpose of your life might be to, you know, get enough money to retire when you're 50, right? The purpose of your life might be like, I don't know, uh, ascend as high as you can in whatever, you know, company that you're, you're in right now. Like, the, like practically, when you think about it, you might admit to yourself like in, the, in, in you know, when, with no one else around that that is really what you're living towards. That's what you're living for. The truth is you have zero control over that. You have no control over whether or not those goals get realized. And you might say, no, 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 if I work really hard, yeah, you know what? If you work really hard, you are far more likely to um, move up in your company, but you could also get hit by a truck tomorrow, right? You have no control over what happens in your life, but a sovereign God does. That means whether you get hit by a bus tomorrow or diagnosed with cancer tomorrow or live 80 years of healthy life, all of those things work towards the purpose of expanding the gospel to the ends of the earth. I, you know, we just, I just preached through Stephen getting stoned in Acts chapter seven. So Stephen dies and so it introduces us to, to Stephen as this, this guy with unanswerable wisdom who's becoming more like Jesus, who is um, boldly proclaiming Christ and operating with the power of the Holy Spirit, and then he dies. And then what happens? And, and you think that that's a, this horrible thing. The very next chapter is the, gospel, or the, the church scattered because persecution broke out in Jerusalem, and wherever they went, they began to proclaim the good news. And so the gospel spread to Samaria and to Judea. It says that right in chapter 8 right there. And that was what Jesus said. He said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power and then go to Samaria, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. They didn't do that. It took Stephen's death and the persecution to break out in Jerusalem to push them out of, outside of Jerusalem and the gospel to begin to spread. So I say all that to say, 
what the truth apocalypse is teaching us is, is if that is the goal of our lives, you we may have bought into this other lie that, you know, whatever it may be, uh, he who dies with the most toys wins, like whatever you're living your life for, the lie that you may have uh, bought into that's at the root of all of these lies is that your life is about something other than just the, the expanse of the gospel to the ends of the earth. But if that's your purpose, then nothing can, not even death can stop that because as we see in the life of Stephen, God uses the, the, the martyr of Stephen to spread the gospel and God uses cancer, God uses financial difficulty, God uses everything in order to spread that gospel yeah it's exactly there's there's another lie that i think is pertinent to point out that people do is sometimes we live our lives looking like oh, I'm, I'm gonna do x y and z and then and then there are those people who are like i'll get to this spiritual stuff 10 years from now right once you know once i've got the career uh, down pat once i get my family in order then i'll you know i'll rededicate my life i'll come back to christ you made the point, you can't control that. You literally could have an aneurysm tomorrow while you're on the toilet and be done. Yeah. That's graphic. Didn't mean for that to be. But all I mean is that you, you can't wait. Yeah. Like there is no, there is no neutrality. We talked about this. If you're not in God's kingdom right now, you're in the other kingdom, yeah. which means what what are we waiting for there is no there it it's time it's time to start living the right way right yeah. now there isn't an, an american dream to chase and then the gospel spreads it's spread the gospel now yeah and so uh i guess as we sign off uh, all we'll say is that um wherever you are whatever you're doing whatever your life looks like right now engage Get involved in this cultural battle. Spread the gospel in a hostile environment. Spend your life doing that. And your life will not be spent in vain. Yeah, that's a good quote. Who is that? That's that's a, that's a P. Nader original. That's a, <laughs> a P. Nader original. Let's, let's be honest. I probably read it somewhere. It just seeped its way into my subconscious. But there you go. Alrighty, we're out of here. Um, uh, thanks for joining us. Find us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, all those places. Follow, rate, review, share. We love you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. Stay tuned because we've got lots of good things coming.